You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. <laughs> This is Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Check us out all on Twitter, at Walker Mail, at Not of the Scribe, and at Doug Branson, LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms, at Locked On Hornets, and we'll head to the guest line now, as we do every single Tuesday, and talk with Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer, and you can find him on Twitter, at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much for hopping on. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Walker. Yeah, and Rick, when you look at this weekend, what happened with the Charlotte Hornets, 0-2, 119 points. They gave up a piece to both the Pelicans and the Jazz. Some things certainly to uh, try to fix on that end of the floor. And, Rick, when Marvin Williams is out, and it looks like he's going to be out at least a week and possibly a little bit longer, well, what's the impact of Marvin being out, the ramifications going forward as long as he's going to be absent? Yeah, you know, Walker, I was kind of struck at the beginning of that game, slightly before Marvin got hurt. You know, with Cody out, I went back and I looked it up. Um, you know, they went to as much shifting as, there, as there's been in the rotation. They had started the same five guys, all 22 of the first, you know, all, all the 22 first games. When Cody went out, that was the first time that there was any change whatsoever in the starting lineup. Um, I would say that that's fairly uncommon in the NBA. Um, moving, losing Marvin is going to hurt both in terms of losing your power forward and losing the guy who really keeps you organized on defense. Um, he He's... Uh, He's important to other people, and it's interesting that one of the people he's obviously important to is Miles Bridges. Um, for all the good work that Miles has done, and let me tell you, you know, he's better than I thought he was going to be. He's a very bright kid. He's a very mature kid. If there is something that has held him back so far, it's absorbing all that information defensively. Um, what Borrego is asking of these guys is very challenging on a cerebral level. There is so much switching going on. Um, Miles is constantly corrected at the defensive end by, by teammates. And if Marvin's absence means he's thrown into the starting lineup, which I think is the most logical thing to do, uh, this is really going to be trial by fire. And Rick, we're at a point in the schedule right now that we've certainly touched on on the podcast. I know you wrote something about this and tweeted it out as well, that this is a, a pretty important part of the schedule in the front half, given that how many home games they're going to be playing. So, I mean, how much of a sense of urgency do you have to have when you have this kind of schedule out in front of you? They are going to have used up half of their 41 home games by uh, New Year's Eve. That is dangerous. It's, an, it's inevitable, by the way, that those things are going to happen because, and this is appropriate, um, the Hornets run the Spectrum Center for the city. They have a responsibility both to themselves and to the city to book as many events as possible in there. Um, that, you know, it, it's public infrastructure. It's intended to, you know, draw visitors to town that, you know, fill hotel rooms and restaurants. So there's no complaint about what Fred Whitfield does to do this. 
that inevitably means there's going to be a lot of college basketball in that building in February, March. This year in particular, the week before All-Star Weekend is, is in Charlotte, they have to vacate the building. That means they're always going to play a lot of home games in November and December. If they, you know, with a, with a new team, as far as a, a new coach trying to, you know, um, get his system across to these guys, they really can't afford a slow start. They have 12 home games in the month of December. They've lost their first one of them. Um, Walker, you know, I wasn't a great math student, but if they don't, if if they don't do really well in those 12 home games. I think they're in a lot of trouble. It's absolutely essential. There's no doubt about it. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And Rick, with Marvin being out, it, it's going to be tough to win some of these games. It certainly doesn't help you. But also James Borrego said on Sunday after that Pelicans loss, he discussed the play of Malik Monk and Nick Batum. Nick Batum only logging 14 minutes in that game. Malik Monk has logged uh, 10 minutes, 8 minutes, I think even 7 or 6 in the last 3 games that he's been playing. And he alluded to their struggling. And it's the first time we We'd really seen something of that. What did you make of Borrego's comments on both Malik Monk and Nick Batum? Uh, for JB, I you know he's been, you know, I mean he's held people accountable, but he's also gone out of his way. I think at times to to stay positive. Um, when somebody asked him specifically, what is Malik Monk going to have to do to get consistent minutes in a very direct way? Borrego said, I've got to see consistent defense from him. Um, that's not a new issue, as we know. Uh, Steve Clifford was perceived by a lot of people in the fan base as being an old fogey for holding <laughs> that rookie Malik Monk accountable for his shaky defense. Um, there's a whole new set of eyes here, and they're coming to the exact same conclusion. That says to me that Malik has got to figure it out defensively because the fact that on, on there are given nights when he's going to be a great scorer is not by itself going to give you know give him uh, reliable minutes no matter what else is going on. Um, in regard to Nick, you know he went one of seven. That's not okay. Um, it was interesting to me that when when I, when I asked you know Borrego, you know what are you going to do about the, the Nick circumstance? It was interesting to, that uh, Borrego made a point of saying that a lot of that is on him as far as he's got to find ways to to, uh, to better exploit Nick's um, skill set. Um, I don't think he was letting Nick off the hook. I think he was saying, and I think this is that, a lot of times it's a, when you see that a, a guy with skill offensively is not being a bigger part of the offense, you have to ask yourself whether the design of the offense is um, best suited to getting the best out of that guy. I think you're going to you're going to see them make a real effort to run plays that are going to be you know going to optimize Nick more. And but this but what has to go hand in hand with that is sitting down with Nick and telling him, you know, it's not okay for you to be passive. It's not okay for you to wait for everything to come to you. Um, Nick is, is a ball mover, and that's a good thing. But sometimes you just need him to be more, you know, responsible for getting points scored. And I think that becomes an even bigger deal in Marvin Williams' absence. 
Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Uh, Rick, just basically, not not in compared to the contract because I, I hate that discussion. I've grown tired of Nick Batum not playing not playing up to his contract. It's obvious he's getting paid a lot of money, and I get that. But when you look at Nick Batum, even the way that he's playing right now, let's say that the money was even lower. Just in regards to your expectations of what you expect the Nick Batum to play like this season, has he lived up to your expectations? No, and I think that Nick would say that, too. My question in regard to that, and I'm not letting him off the hook because, you know, a lot of this is on Nick, but I don't think it's entirely on Nick. I do think this is a chicken and egg problem in the sense that, um, you know, they're asking him to do different things than he's done in the past, and that's okay. You know, I mean, you know, that he, that they, they asked MKG to do different things than he did in the past. But Nick has a higher level of responsibility now defensively than he did under um, Clifford, and that, that's obviously an outgrowth of MKG no longer starting. Um, but let's face it, if Nick is on your team at whatever his salary is, you're there because you see him as somebody who has a wide skill set and is a good decision maker with the ball. I can't tell you, I can't, it's not like I can put a percentage on it, how much of the fact that Nick is not you're know, doing um, as much as he once did as far as organizing, dis- making decisions, facilitating. I don't know how much of that is him and how much of that is circumstance. I, did, I, I will say this. They brought in C- uh, Tony Parker to have, a, obviously, a very significant role in this team. I think it was inevitable that to some degree that meant that some of the things that ended up defaulting on Nick as far as complimenting a score-first point guard in Kemba, is no longer Nick's deal. It's now Tony's deal. And, Rick, last thing before we get you out of here, looking at Frank Kaminsky and the job that he's done ever since getting back into the rotation, I mean, he put up 19 points the other night and had a good game against the New Orleans Pelicans. What have you made of his sudden resurgence and whether he'll be continued to be featured in that rotation? I think that uh, I think the message in all this is that uh, people need to get their heads around the idea that um, we're going to see center by committee for this entire season. And it means that there's going to be a lot of, you know, this guy's the hot hand for a week, that guy's the hot hand for a week. Frankly, the other thing that comes to mind, though, is that JB talked a lot about how Frank ascending to the backup point guard spot was not necessarily a vote of no confidence in Billy Hernan Gomez. If that's true, then when he when Billy became a fill-in starter for Cody Zeller, it didn't take long at all for JB to turn away from that. Um, after what he saw in the first half, um, Bismarck Biombo was plugged in as the fill-in starter. Um, there's something going on with the way that Billy's playing. I can't put my finger on it, but um, it's clear that he has been given a great opportunity to play a lot here, and it's also clear that there's something about the way he's playing that James Borrego's not happy with. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer, we appreciate him joining us every single Tuesday, and you can find his work on his Twitter at his handle, at Rick underscore Bennell. 
Rick, thanks so much for joining us every single week. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Walker. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks again to Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer for joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Action Heat, and Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing and heat on demand at the touch of a button. It is perfect for any friend or family on your holiday gift list. Great for anyone who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, or anybody that hates being cold. Action Heat apparel includes heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid winter weather. They have heated clothes for every budget starting at just $40. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. And that's actionheat.com slash locked on or use the coupon code locked on at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty warm while you enjoy all your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. We're going to talk about Jim or Jay Laranaga. And James Borrego. Should get the first name right. (laughs) Well, maybe that one I should get. Actually, his real name is James, but they call him Jay. We'll call him Jay, too. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Walker Mail, just solo once again here today. Appreciate you joining us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to talk about the young guys. Because a couple of points we just talked about with Rick Bennell revolve around the last two first-round draft picks for the Charlotte Hornets. Remember when James Borrego got this job? There was no question that a huge factor, and perhaps the most important one in his hiring, was player development. And when people think player development, what's going on behind closed doors isn't good enough for fans. Usually fans want to see these young guys get real playing time, go out there, get thrown out in the fire, and play basketball on the court. On the court in real time, in a real game. That's all great, and I'm even on board with that line of thinking. I want to see those guys thrown in the fire as well in some regards. But it's always interesting to see how and if coaches stick with the young guys if it directly impacts their losing. Certainly in a situation where there's no tanking involved like Charlotte. If you're with Phoenix and you're throwing out young guys out there, then you get it because they're a part of a tanking process where you're throwing out the young guys all for player development and you're just going to lose and you're going to get a better draft pick because of it and it doesn't matter because it's all for the future. There is no now for teams like Phoenix. There is no now for teams that are looking to tank and get assets for the future. There is a now for Charlotte. And so Miles Bridges has been playing well, very well. So well, in fact, that he only has one DNP CD, just one game where the coach decided not to play him and injury and health was not a factor. Miles has averaged the most minutes per game of any Charlotte Hornet who's not a starter. Now, it's kind of grouped together, but Miles Bridges is averaging the most minutes per game of anybody not named Kimba, Cody, Jeremy Lamb, all the starters. 
on this team. So he's getting a lot of run. He's shooting 36% from three so far. He's hit five in the last two games. He's a terrific rebounder. He's certainly a willing defender, although the defensive IQ is nowhere close to where it needs to be, and it will be, give it time, but he's certainly a willing defender, and he helps out a lot on help side because of his ability to just spring out of the, out of the gym and get a help side block. Overall player efficiency rating over 15 as a first-year player in this league. Miles has delivered. He's playing well. And what you're seeing in this scenario is a healthy marriage of player development and winning basketball games. Borrego has been able to play Miles, develop him as a player, and not have that come at the sacrifice of losing, or certainly have him be a direct impact of the Charlotte Hornets losing. Now we'll see an uptick in minutes for Miles, I would imagine, given Marvin's shoulder injury sidelining for a week or two. And it's going to be fun. I'm sure frustrating at times to see him get these minutes, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And so I'm here for Miles Bridges getting a lot more minutes because of Marvin Williams' injury. Still no word on who's going to start. Borrego has not revealed that to us yet. MKG, Frank Kaminsky, Miles Bridges all in the mix as a potential starter in Marvin Williams' absence. But you would think that Miles is going to get an uptick in minutes. So I'm excited to see that. But now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Let's go to another example of player development and how it's affected James Borrego's coaching so far. Remember how not only us, but Borrego put such an emphasis on player development and how important it was. It wasn't Miles Bridges who we were discussing as the focal point of that development conversation. It was Malik Monk. And now it seems like we've heard the first sense at frustration publicly, at least, on Borrego's part concerning Malik Monk. Like I said earlier when I was talking with Rick, Malik's logged eight minutes six minutes, and 10 minutes in the last three games. The Hornets are 11-12 and 12 after a 23-game start to the season. And if you look at basically the first half of the year, Malik averaged 24 minutes a night in the first 12 games. 24. And the last 11 games, he's averaged just 13 and a half minutes per game. So now that Steve Clifford found him unplayable in a lot of instances last year, And now Coach Borrego, who attached himself at the hip to Malik Monk's development, has found him to be unplayable in some instances. I wonder if that gets to Malik to the point he thinks, man, I really need to get this together on that defensive end. Or I ain't playing. One thing to think, it's it's one thing to think that Clifford's just being an old head and just wanting to stick with his veterans. I'm sure a lot of you Panthers fans would agree that Ron Rivera has the same problem trying to stick with his veterans. It's one thing to think that Clifford's just an old head doing that, but Borrego, who's playing Miles Bridges that many minutes per night, who's experimenting with Devontae Graham, your second-round draft pick, at least in some instances, that Borrego finds you unplayable in situations out there on the basketball court, I wonder if that just might get the message across. And I'm not saying that this is a lack of effort on Malik Monk's part. But you have to find some way to improve on the defensive end or be way more consistent offensively. It's so frustrating because we see the offensive outputs that he's capable of. We see where he gets crazy hot, where he can't miss from beyond the arc. We can all hold on to that Milwaukee game that he had in his rookie season where he goes for 18 points in the fourth quarter. 
We can all hold on to the 26-point effort that he had against the Atlanta Hawks. He's given us some good offensive outputs before. But Malik Monk's stats offensively are bad. 36% from the field, 32% from three-point range this season. And I've gone through the months of October and November with a couple of guys, like Nick Batum and the inefficiency that he had in October. A couple of bad Octobers for some guys outside of Kimba Walker. Jeremy Lamb is one where it spikes immensely once you get to November. Malik has just been bad in both months. Now, it's been worse in November for him, but the guy shot 39% from the field in October, shot 35% from the field in November. Three-point range, that was the one thing you could hold on to. Malik shot 38% from three. That's good. That's fine. You take that all day. Shooting 29 in the month of November, which has brought him 32% beyond the arc right now. Hey, you got to get better on the defensive side. And when you have those kind of numbers, those bad, bad offensive numbers being thrown out there from Malik Monk, and Borrego is saying, I need him to be more consistent on the other end of the floor before he gets significant minutes in the rotation again, before he's back regularly in the rotation again. I think that says all you need to know about where Borrego is. And so when you see the marriage of player development and winning, yeah, they're a game below 500, but Miles has helped them in some regards. When you see that marriage working and it not coming at the sacrifice of losing games where Borrego attached himself at the hip, he made sure that all of us fans knew, I'm going to develop Malik Monk, but now he's not playing him. Now he's playing him 13 and a half minutes a game when you look at the past 11 contests because you want to win now. And so when the coach has to decide a balance between player development, these younger guys getting some real minutes, and how it affects me winning this game tonight, and Miles is still getting serious run, and Malik is not, then I think we have to come to the point where we can worry a little bit about Malik. It's still so early to write him off. Look at Jeremy Lamb. He blossomed way late into his career. Nobody's writing Malik Monk off. But I've got an eyebrow raised. And nobody wants Malik Monk to improve more than I do. My favorite player in college basketball when he was a freshman at Kentucky. Loved watching Malik Monk play. It was must-see TV for me. I had to go see him. I needed to see him. I was enthralled with the pick when they made that selection at number 11 overall. And I'm still happy enough. I'm still not writing it off. It's still, it's still worrisome. But I tell you this, this is very glass half full, glass half empty discussion that we're having where you can look at Miles Bridges and you can look at Malik Monk. Malik Monk being the glass half empty side of things. You can look at the glass half full with Miles Bridges because it does look at least like right now that the new GM, Mitch Kupchak, came in, drafted Miles Bridges, and at least for the moment, it looks like it looks like it's a hit. Hopefully it continues that way. And I'm hoping you see Malik Monk back in the rotation, man, because I'm pulling for him as much as anybody. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with one more segment and put a bow on it here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You're listening to the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but is that, is they, that the guy? they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night. They didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. 
Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Thanks for joining us here once again on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We're coming to you from the Essex Home Studios from 730 The Game, but a big shout-out to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing that you want to do, and that's make more sales. So once again, I want to thank Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer for joining us here as he does every single Tuesday. Go check him out on Twitter, at Rick underscore Bennell. You probably already do. He is fantastic, and we appreciate him joining us every single podcast. And I want to give some notice to another prominent Charlotte Hornets beat writer, kind of fresh to the scene, Rod Boone of The Athletic, coming out with a tremendous piece in his latest one here on Big Pat. And if you don't know Big Pat, I'm sure everybody does, but if you don't know Big Pat, Big Pat is the... Charlotte Hornets PA announcer that you hear every single time or most of the time that you step into the Spectrum Center and watch those ball games. And it hasn't been Big Pat, at least at the beginning of the season, because he was battling some health issues. But he is back at the Spectrum Center now, and it's so good to have him back. It just is not a Charlotte Hornets home game when Pat isn't on the mic. And my personal Pat Dowdy story, Big Pat, my personal one, my, my, the first one I can at least remember where he at least had an impact on my viewing experience, where I was impressed, where I liked what I was hearing, where it was a lot of fun, where he made the game more fun. I'll always remember going to a Bobcat and Grizzlies game in 2009, I believe, 2008, 2009, and I got to go see the Bobcats and Grizzlies, and that was, of course, Gerald Wallace was raining down dunks at that time. That might have been the year that he got that All-Star, certainly close to it. It would have been 08, 09. I don't know what year that I went, but Gerald Wallace was there, and as the Grizzlies were playing, you had O.J. Mayo on the team and Rudy Gay, and I'll always remember thinking it was funny the way that he would say the names of opposing players. I'll always remember every time I think of O.J. Mayo now, I think of Pat saying, O.J. Mayo, and then if Kimba Walker or Gerald Wallace scores a bucket, it's, Kimba Walker like he gets so emphatic when he says it and I'll always remember just him saying Rudy Gay OJ Mayo just like with the least amount of emphasis whatsoever but acknowledging that there was somebody on the opposing team that did score and hearing Pat do that and just having the best voice of all time and it's different it is so different when he's not the PA announcer as we found out at the beginning of the season it's like God bless the man whoever took over no, he's doing the best he can, and it wasn't the worst in the world, but it's not even close to Pat. And when Pat's in the Spectrum Center, that thing's rocking, man. And it's fun to see him. I watched an interview of Pat as well, and he discussed just how important this job is to him, how much of a thrill he gets when the crowd feeds off of a big call from him whenever there's a big bucket made or whenever he leads the chant of a defense chant or whatever in the, in the crowd. They start coming in right after him. They follow his lead. It's so cool, man. I think everybody understands the importance of Pat and just how much he makes and he enhances your viewing experience when you step in the Spectrum Center. All right, that'll do it for the Locked On Hornet podcast today. We appreciate you joining us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets until tomorrow. Maybe not in Doug. Might have an appearance. Don't know yet. Tune in to find out on a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Hornets podcast.